tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. Today's the Feast of St. Andrew the Apostle, one of the Twelve, and patron saint of lots of things like Scotland and Greece and fishermen. And so, happy St. Andrew's Day. How did he become the patron of Scotland and Greece? How did he become this patron of Scotland and Greece? Supposedly he died in Greece, in Patras, and uh, then his relics supposedly were taken to Scotland in a later more medieval story, and uh, he was miraculously resuscitated to help take them there. It's a, it's kind of complicated. But yeah, he's he the patron saint of Scotland. Hey, he wanted haggis. Yes, yes. I don't know if this is the voice in my head's being live today, but he's live. Good. But yeah, haggis. Haggis. This is not something I've ever eaten, but well, it's actually good. I like it. You've had haggis. I, I have haggis with with some Scottish friends of mine. I I have had haggis before. I think haggis probably is is an excuse to drink Scottish whiskey. Frankly, but it sounds awful. Well, if you like haggis, well, no accounting for voices in my head. <laughs> Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know the one, the Bible. Dust that thing off. Um, uh, um, that's always a great sign when I start with, um, I looked something up and, and had it all on my computer and of course I have lost it, but we'll find it again. All right. You know, I did, but it wasn't, it didn't work. Oh, well, but I've got it now. I've got it. Uh, I think I've got it. Okay. But let's go to the reading. Uh, well, I want to go, I zoom right in this. Um, this is a very controversial, uh, reading Romans 10 the ninth chapter you will find a kind of evangelism where people there's something called uh, the four spiritual laws or the four spiritual rules and you'll get little books and actually they're not they're not bad it's just that they're kind of understood in a sort of well pseudoscientific or quasi chemical way you say this prayer and then you're going to heaven okay next 
that really was kind of, I don't know if it still exists in places, but when I was young and dabbling in things evangelical uh, and Pentecostal, that was the deal. You got him to say, uh, uh, say Jesus, that you believe, in, I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and I say, Jesus is Lord. You're saved. Next. I mean, it really, it was that, that kind of mechanical. And, and I, I want to talk about how this isn't mechanical at all by looking at another passage of sons of, hold on. I'm looking it up for the third time uh, because, okay, there we go. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. I've got it. The sons of Skiva, I've got it. Phew. Let's see here. I'm going to hear that tune in my, in my, in my head. Well, the scripture goes, one, let me read the whole, the whole section from uh, Romans 10, 10. Well, Romans 10, 9 and following, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Oh, that sounds pretty easy. You will be saved for one believes with the heart and so is justified. One confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, enriching all who call upon him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved piece of cake i'm not so sure let's look at this at this passage in uh the acts of the apostles now i've often told you that that um the word uh, apostle means someone who is delegated with authority in other words, they're not just, I'm an apostle, I'm a missionary. No, who sent you? Remember the story of a, a Chicago uh, uh, politico who uh, someone wanted to see him, and he said to the, the guy in the office, so who sent him? He said, nobody sent him. I don't see nobody nobody sent. Well, that's kind of the way that we should think about the gospel. Who sent you? Who sent you to 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 bring me this news? Who Whose authority? is behind uh, your proclamation. Well, the Bible. Yeah, your interpretation of the Bible or someone else's interpretation. You see, we need to be a little discerning about this because the word apostle is a Greek word meaning a delegate. Um, I say always say missionary, but it, it's, a, it's a delegated missionary. All right, let me look at this passage. This is Acts 19, 13 and following. Now, there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, well, why am I bringing up the name? Well, we just saw in the passage in uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Another thing I've told you frequently, when you see the word name in the text, it means authority. Again, related to apostolate. Authority. If I say I come in the name of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and I do not have a badge and a warrant and all that sort of thing, pretty soon I'm going to get in trouble. I come in the name of, I come with the authority of, or right, let's go back to our passage in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Now there were some itiner itinerant Jewish exorcists who tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those evil spirits. They would say, I bind you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Eventually, one of the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and I am familiar with Paul, but who are you? The man with the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. The attack was so violent that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. 
Why am I referring to that passage? Because the invocation of the name of Jesus is not a superstitious thing. If I just say, in the name of Jesus, what I'm saying is Jesus has delegated me to pray that prayer. Now, you can pray in your own name. Jesus says at the Last Supper, uh, um, you've asked for nothing in my name. Let me, let me pull that up. You've asked for nothing in my name. Uh, now ask and it will be given. Uh, hold on. I got it. Okay. This is past John 16, 24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you shall receive. This is part of the ordination of the disciples that, that um, uh, he's giving them authority. Verse 23 of John 16. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Truly, truly, I tell you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you until now. You've not asked for anything in my name, asking you'll receive that your joy may be complete. Um, you can ask for things in your own name. That's not a problem. God is a generous father and will give you what you ask for if it is uh, appropriate for your eternal salvation. God is not stingy. Uh, but on the other hand, when I say in the name of Jesus, I'm going to win the lottery in the name of Jesus. You'll hear people say things like that. That's what the sons of Sceva were doing. And they got beat up by the devil. When you, now this may sound a little odd, and do take this with, you already got the salt shaker, a large grain of salt. I suspect that when you pray something in the name of Jesus, now really do take this uh, cautiously. I may be very wrong about this, and I don't want to make life difficult for anyone. But when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're giving the right to the devil as the sons of Sceva did, to ask, did Jesus tell you to pray that prayer? That's, a, that's an important thing. Now, in the context of this, this reading today, I, I want to emphasize that none of this is automatic or superstitious. So let us go back over the passage with the very uh, peculiar um, uh, kind of etymology that I do, the Reverend Know-It-All method of changing everything. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, well, what does confess mean? Confess is a word that means agree. Agree. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, uh, the sacrament of confession, and with what are we agreeing? We're agreeing with God's judgment that I'm a sinner. That That's what we're agreeing with. Um, so, so the word here is, is, is it's homologane in Greek. Uh, I should probably look it up just to be sure. Homologane, which means to say the same thing, to agree. Hence, uh, you're agreeing with God's judgment. If you agree with your heart or agree with your, if you agree with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is Lord. It can mean that Jesus is in control. Jesus is the Lord of my life. However, when a Greek-speaking Jew saw the word kyrios in the text, depending on the context, he would hear the word God. 
he would hear YHWH, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that a devout Jew, as I was just listening to Kel Clark, that he was talking about when uh, in the Torah the word YHWH was written, that a pen was broken. I didn't know that. Kale, he's he's got a lot of good stuff. But um, that YHWH was so sacred that they would not pronounce it. When a Jew saw YHWH in the text, he said, Lord, Adonai. Uh, so... A Greek-speaking Jew would see if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's that's a pretty tall order. And you believe. Now, what am I always telling you believe means? It means trust. If you trust in your heart, what is heart means? Karadia in Greek. It is the deepest, innermost, uh, um, um, the deepest, innermost part of a person. Uh, let me look uh, the mind, the character, the inner self, the will, the intention, the center, the affective center of our being, uh, the capacity of moral preference. These are all definitions. Interesting. The heart, cardia, is mentioned over 800 times in Scripture, but never does it in that context refer to the, the organ of the body that plump, pumps blood. So uh, in the Old and the New Testament, Cardia, or, or uh, Lebev, I think is the word in Hebrew, it, it means that deepest part of the person. So let's go back to our text and see. put that in the context. And you trust in the deepest part of you that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And, oh dear, this is going to take a while. What does it mean to be saved? Saved means snatched from imminent death. Remember, there are two things going on in the Christian life, salvation and redemption. Maybe I'll make that the word of the day today, redemption. But this idea of being snatched from imminent death. Why? Because one trusts in one's deepest self and so is made godly. How does that happen? It's just automatic. No, it is not automatic. It is not superstitious. If I, in my deepest self, truly trust that Jesus conquered death, that changes everything in my life. I can be generous. Why am I not generous? I'm afraid I won't have enough. Why am I Why am I not kind? Because I think no one will defend me. The great enemy is death, the Bible says. And when death is conquered, if I really trust that death has been conquered by Christ's resurrection, I can lead a much more generous and holy life. I can allow God to conform me to his image, which is what justification is. I can allow God to make me generous and merciful and 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 a person of service. These are all things that are implied in justice, justification in the Hebrew sense. So, because one trusts in the heart, and thus he is conformed to the image of God. One agrees with the mouth, and and so is is saved. What's one agreeing with? With the church, with the whole church, that opens you to the sacraments, which are salvific. Uh, your your mouth is also agreeing with your heart, and and there's a wholeness to it. But I look at this: the confession, the the agreement with the mouth, I think has to do. And this is just me; I may be all wrong about this. But the agreement that you make with your mouth, when you say yes, I I think and I trust that Jesus is the God who spoke to Abraham, the God who spoke to Moses. That Jesus is YHWH. Jesus is, is 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 Lord. Well, that qualifies me for membership in the community of the faithful. And so often we think getting saved has nothing to do with the church. 
the sacraments are the vehicles by which God uh, makes covenant with us and thus saves us. So that statement that Jesus is Lord, that that brings me into the fellowship of, of the whole body. I, I think, you know, that ichthus, you all know about ichthus, uh, that, that uh, you see a fish. What's that for? It's an acrostic. The Greek word for fish is ichthus. And the first letter is I, Jesus. The second is he, that C-H, Christos, Jesus the Messiah. Theu, which means of God or God's. Jesus Christ, God's huios, the, 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 the Greek U, it means son. And then the final S, uh, 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 Savior. So Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior. That you're confessing, in, even in that, that early creed, I think it's an early creed, uh, Jesus Christos, that, that you're confessing Jesus is, is, is the Son of God, thus divine. That brings you into the church. So uh, it's a different thing. I guess what I'm really trying to say is, this process of salvation isn't this automatic magic formula. It's entering into a relationship with Christ, through him with the Father, and with them, the whole body of believers. Uh, this is a tall, uh, tall uh, order. On this Feast of St. Andrew, we see uh, how can they call on him whom, whom they have not trusted? And how can they trust in him whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone to preach? And how can people preach unless they are sent? Again, we have this this word uh, sent that that this is the verb form of the word apostle. Uh, that that you can't just go off half cocks. I'm going to be an evangelist. No, you got to be sent. Who sent you? Uh, let me pull that up and I'll just make sure that I'm not making that up. But the idea that you have to be sent in order to, to really have the power of the Holy Spirit behind this. Okay, and of course it's not cooperating, but that's all right. It's, it's up. Oh, it just cooperated. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's to apostle. How can anyone preach unless they have been apostled, unless they've been sent. So uh, I think that that's an important thing to understand, that, that, that the early church was not just a bunch of nice people talking about Jesus. It was a structure, a structure established by Jesus for the salvation of the world. And we need to remember that's who we are. We are not just a committee to fix the parking lot. All right, that said, let us go to a break and we will be back with letters. Oh, the phone number, 888-914-9149. Do call in, 888-914-9149. Let me do that one more time, 888-914-9149. To ask any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester today. An Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. 
Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can. Yes, I can. No, you can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can well, be, I, I can do. I don't know greater. that I can Sooner do anything later, better. I can talk than longer greater than, greater than most yes, people I, I know, but that's about yes, it. All right, that said, let us go to letters. All right, I got, uh, let's see, I got a letter here. Do call in, 888-914-9149. All right. Um, oh, we got calls coming in. Good. All right, let me do a letter here, and maybe we'll we'll have more time for letters. This is, I, I think I may have talked about this, but I want to talk about it again because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. This is from Steve in Minneapolis. In, uh, the, in the Our Father, I've been pondering, Thy kingdom come. I, I'm sure I talked about this, but I want to talk about it again. I always say you can translate kingdom as royal nature. Perhaps you've heard me say that the Our Father is a very dangerous prayer. I, I say all these things like, uh, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. When I'm praying, I don't want God's will to be done. I want my will to be done, and he darn well better do it if he's God. I mean, really. <laughs> That's, you know, and... You know, I, I know what royalty is. You don't have to tell me what royalty is. It, royalty is a red carpet and doing whatever you want and having somebody peel a grape for you while you wear a gold crown and and don't work for a living. That's what royalty is. No, 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 no. That royalty, God's kind of royalty, is, is about washing feet and feeding the hungry, um, which Jesus did a number of times. He fed people in the scriptures. Um, it's, uh, the throne is a cross and the crown is made of thorns. That's what royalty really looks like. That stuff you see in the tabloids, that's not royalty. That's just, that's just, um, I don't know what it is, but, uh, royalty is, is Jesus getting on his knees to wash Judah's feet. That's royalty. So I'm saying, may that royalty come, may that kind of king come, not the kind of king who, well, I don't want to go there. All right. As you can tell, I'm not much of a royalist. I believe there is a king, and that's that's the Lord. So um, I hope that answers your question, Steve. Oh, also, the um, I, you know, I may I may have a uh, I may be wrong about this. I am. I was quite sure that there was a document produced by someone authoritative. And I'm going to rant and rave about this anyway. Uh, saying that ushers should not um, accompany people to communion. You know, every everywhere I go now, the ushers stride to the front of the church, they stand by the front pew, and they make a motion that the pew should empty out and go to communion. Then they go to the second pew, empty out the pew and go to communion. We don't want people running down to the communion rail in, in disorder, do we now? I mean, oh, please, I don't know, if you're an usher, if you're a pastor... Please, I don't know if there's a document, but it's certainly what I think. This this creates so much, uh, so many unworthy, uh, blasphemous communions, because if you usher me down to the the uh, um, the communion, uh, and I'm not worthy to receive it, then then. Um, uh, you're causing me to commit sacrilege. That's the word sacrilege. To receive Holy Communion 
in an unworthy state is a sacrilege. And St. Paul says it will make you sick, certainly spiritually, maybe physically, and even cause death. Read it in 1 Corinthians. Now, the voice of my head just reminded, we talked about this yesterday, but I want to talk about it more because I think it's important, um, especially at funerals. I have done funerals. I'll never forget a funeral I did. There's a bunch of young people dressed kind of as goths, you know, black clothes, heavy dyed black hair, odd piercings. And this girl came up and I held up the blessed sacrament and I said, body of Christ. And she kind of looked and I said, have you made your first communion? And she said, no, I'm Jewish. Ugh. So I said, let me give you a blessing. Well, I remember a bunch of young people are coming up all dressed like God. I said, have you guys made your first communion? said, no, we don't know. what this... Let me give you a blessing. Let me give you a blessing. And they were fine with it. Well, then some indignant old fellow about my age came up and slapped his hands together and said, I made my first communion. In other words, he was saying, how dare you not give the blessed sacrament to people uh, who you think shouldn't receive it. And that's because an, uh, the undertakers had asked as, acted as ushers, and they had insisted these young people go up to the front. How are we going to put that genie back in the bottle? You can't go to communion unless you are a Catholic in good standing. That's what the Bible says. Well, why can't I? Why can't I get those? You, How many times have I told you, you don't go to Mass to get something. You go to Mass to give something. When you come up to the altar rail, whether you stand or kneel or jump around on one foot, what you are saying is that as he put his flesh and blood on this altar for my sake, I put my flesh and blood on this altar for his sake, for the salvation of souls and for the good of the church. I'm climbing up on the cross with Christ. You don't go to Mass to get something. You go to Mass to give something. I didn't get the wine, Father. Oh, that used to make me crazy. How come we don't get the wine just because of COVID, Father? Oh, Gewalt. You don't go to Mass to get something. You go to Mass to give something. And ushers, I think, throughout the country are are responsible for sacrilege. I, I, that, I'll say it that strongly. If you are an usher and you're leading up someone to communion who is not ready to receive Holy Communion, you're, you're involved in a sacrilege. A sacrilege. That's a serious sin. I really feel strongly about this. And I'm, I have the kernel of truth, Deacon O'Leary, looking for the document. But even if there's not a document, consider that. Well, it's just crazy then. Everybody rushes up at once. Fine. That's what happens at a dinner table with a family. So the Italians do it the, the one usher at a time, the voice in my head just said. Yes, this is live. Yeah, the Italians, they don't have ushers. You just go up whenever you want to go up. You just go up. Yeah, the Italians, they're comfortable with, with a little bit of chaos. But we Americans, oh, we got to do it in order. I'll say it one more time. If you are an usher and you cajole some person to go receive the blessed sacrament who is not in a state of grace, you are involving yourself in a sacrilege. I do not like it when other people or when people make sins for other people. I'm not making this sin for other people. This is, this is sacrilege. And the current method of distribution of communion and the current understanding uh, of, of, the, of, of 
communion or the lack of understanding of communion is causing sacrilege. I believe that. And that's a serious thing. Okay, I've got that off my, uh, my, um, my, out of my craw. All right, this is from Daniel. Very interesting. <clears throat> I talk about private revelations, all that sort of thing. And this is from Dan, and he says, The church says that the faithful are not bound to believe approved apparitions as a matter of faith, since they are outside the deposit of faith. However, we liturgically celebrate the apparitions. It's like the church is saying, You don't have to believe in this apparition to be a Christian, nor will your belief affect your salvation, but we believe it to be true, and we'll celebrate it as a fact. It seems like that would be hard for anyone not to believe that the apparitions given to the church sanctioned devotions thereto, and that the apparitions celebrated liturgically are spoken about as a matter of fact. Have you ever met a fellow Catholic that doesn't believe Our Lady appeared at Fatima? Unfortunately, yes, I have, but they aren't very Catholic. Uh, yeah, we we're also told that we don't have to believe it as a matter of faith. Uh, please help reconcile. Well, what we're doing when we have a liturgical celebration of something is we are celebrating the 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 good in it the the conversions that are going on in it and it isn't a liturgical celebration until it has stood the test of time and what we are celebrating is you know what the church says in an imprimatur or or uh, when it approves an apparition that the content the prophetic content of this book or vision or whatever is not going to hurt the faith it's not going to damage the faithful. That's what we're saying. It's a kind of negative thing. That there's nothing that we can see in this that will that will cause uh, scandal or or difficulty to the faithful. It isn't an approval of it. Now, some uh, apparitions, like Lourdes, like Fatima, um, that sort of thing, that they are so important to people and have caused so many conversions that it's appropriate we celebrate them liturgically. Uh, what we're doing is celebrating the, not the fact, but the effect. That's how I would look at it. I don't know if that helps, Dan, but um, when you look at an imprimatur or, or that sort of thing as a kind of negative, uh, eh, nothing wrong with this as far as we can tell. That's a lot different than saying, oh, this is, this is, this happened, this is, you got to believe this. A lot different. I personally, as you know, I'm big on Lourdes and I'm really big on Fatima, but they are not part of the deposit of faith. And uh, um, it's appropriate that we celebrate them liturgically because so much good has come from those, those particular uh, uh, experiences. Let me see. Oh, let's look at the time. Okay, we're going we're gonna to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, and then I will take phone calls. Oh, boy. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values, and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Blessed Savior, thou Amen. Amen. By the way, I've just got a, a, a message from, from our dear friend, the Colonel of Truth. And he said, I have found 
from the Diocese of Orange, California, a document saying that it is not a statement saying that it is not necessary to stand at each row while that row goes to communion, which has the appearance of keeping track of who goes and who does not uh, 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 receive communion. Also, from another source where they instruct the ushers not to see. Uh, not not to see to have people go to communion, but to identify those who cannot go up and receive, so they may inform the ministers to seek out those people. I'm confused by that. But yes, the Diocese of Orange, maybe not the USCCB, but the Diocese of Orange. So there you go. At least somebody on planet Earth agrees with the Reverend Know-It-All on this. I, you, I feel pretty strongly about this. I have actually gotten into tiffs with Undertaker. Sure, what's that? This this is live, Father. Well, yes, you're saying it's the usher are committing sacrilege, but isn't the pastor who's commissioning them to do a particular job? So why why would they be the ones responsible? Well, for being the, I, I to didn't the say committing. I said partic. I think I said participating in a sacrilege. Uh, I did that to scare people. But yeah, the pastor should. You know, we don't think of it. We just don't think of it. And and I think that, you know, I think a sacrilege is an objective thing, whether I'm guilty of the sacrilege or not the sacrilege happens uh, um, that that uh, if I'm unaware that I'm committing a sacrilege, of course, I'm not morally culpable, uh, but uh, uh, the sacrilege still happens. Uh, and, you know, I believe in angels and I think it, it grieves the Holy Spirit and makes the angels cry. So there you go. Um, you're right that, that if a person does this unknowingly, uh, um, they're not guilty of of, uh, the sin of sacrilege. However, I've just thrown a large stink bomb into the congregation of of listeners here because, yeah, it's big business. You know, this is going to cause trouble, which, good, I'm glad, because I really think this is important. We really have to look at at communion and how how it's distributed and people's attitude toward it. It ain't the lucky chip. It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. All right. Oh, meh. All right. I wanted to mention something before we we, uh, uh, um, go to the word of the day. You know, the Merry Beggars is a wonderful troupe of performers uh, who are working with Relevant Radio, and they got some great stuff coming up. Christmas Live, it's kind of a one-hour variety show that celebrates Advent, the joy of the Christmas season, and you can get it uh, at the website or on the app. So go look at it. And if you don't know how to get to the website or the app, ask a ask a kid. They know this stuff. And also, um, we're, we're going to be having... Uh, 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 let's see. I gotta find this, uh, but I believe we are starting. Um, oh, oh, wait! I was from the. This is something from the Rome. Oh, this diocese of Orange again. That is the the the, the kernel of truth. Okay. Uh, the the Christmas Carol is is going to be broadcast. Uh, you can subscribe to it for free. It's not a cost, and it's it's uh, December first to twenty fifth. Uh, Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. So, again, go to the website and look at that. That's fun stuff uh, to get ready for Christmas. All right, let's see here. All right, let us now go to the word of the day. You know, let me let me jump on the other side of the of the argument. That question: Are you saved? That is a perfectly good question. 
You know, I, the the song that we sing was lost, but now I'm found. We don't like to talk about people as being lost. Why not? If they're lost, they're lost. Uh, if you are driving uh, south on the expressway and firmly believe with all your heart that you're going north, you're still going south. No matter how intensely you believe you're going north, uh, that that to be lost, to be to be bound for hell, um, these are real things. And the church, one of the major purposes for the existence of the church is the salvation of souls. And we so rarely talk about it now. To be saved is to be snatched from imminent danger or death. Uh, that's to be saved. But there's another reality that salva salvation is not enough. Huh? No, no. Redemption is the second part. We say saved and redeemed. And redemption does not mean the same thing as salvation. Redemption means to be restored to your position in a family. It literally means to be bought back out of slavery. And we are slaves. We're slaves to our passions. We're slaves to our attitudes, toward our emotions. And God wants to redeem us. That is to restore us to our rightful place in that family, which is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a solidarity, not a solitude. God, according to St. John Paul the Great, is the perfect family. And our destiny is not simply to go to heaven, but to become part of that relationship. Not to become gods, but to become part of that relationship, which is God. And that's what redemption is, to be restored. Uh, you know, if I'm speeding down a road... Uh, I've told you this before. I'm speeding down a road and there's a sign, the bridge is out. And I say, nonsense, I was there this morning, it's fine. And I just charge along, I'm going to end up in the river. However, if there's somebody there waving a red flag, stops me and says, no, the bridge went out this morning after you were here. Well, thank you, you saved me. Uh, but now how do I get to the other side of the of the river? I'll I'll show you a way. And he gets in the car and he shows me another way around. That's redemption. To be bought back out of slavery, to be restored to our our real purpose, that's redemption. So to be saved is to be saved, to be snatched from imminent disaster. To be redeemed is to be restored. So we talk about salvation and redemption, and they are perfectly valid questions. Are you saved? Now, a lot of non-Catholic groups say you can have absolute assurance of salvation. We believe you can have moral assurance of salvation. Uh, that, that to the best of my knowledge, trusting Jesus, I'm saved. All right, let's go to calls. There is something the matter with your fin. No, it's fine. It's Mary from Chicago calling. Mary, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you. I have a friend who is actively engaged in um, adultery and fornication and seems to think that their salvation is only just questionable. But I'm trying to teach this person that to die with one unrepentant mortal sin on the soul is to forfeit one's salvation. Am I correct yeah. in that? Yes, yes, you are. And uh, she knows it's a mortal sin. You know, uh, she's just yes. pretending she doesn't think it's a mortal sin. No, it's not that bad. Yes, it is. Now, is she's committing adultery. Is she, is she having relations with someone else's husband or is she someone uh, else's actually, wife? Actually, it's, it's a man who's cheating on his wife with another woman. Yes, yes. Uh, what I would say is, how would you feel your wife cheated on you? You know, how would you mm -hmm. feel if your wife cheated on you? Goes around, comes around. You have no right to demand uh, uh, 
fidelity on the part of your wife. And uh, no, you're at the current rate, you're you're probably going to hell. So I remember somebody who was a great leader in one of the prayer groups. Uh, uh, I heard this story. I didn't know them personally, but great leader in the prayer groups. And he dropped out and he started drinking and cheating on his wife. And somebody from the prayer group uh, found him at a bar and sat down at the bar stool next to him and said, um, uh, he said, well, why should I stop? Why should I, you know, why should I not do what I'm doing? And the guy looked at him and said, because you're going to go to hell. And he said, oh, you're right. And he went home, was reconciled to his wife, got sober and returned to the Lord. You're going to go to hell if you don't. And, and I think that we're so uncomfortable saying that, well, who am I to judge? St. Paul says, don't you know you'll judge the angels? You know, that that I think you're right. Just say, you know, there's a real strong possibility that there's a hell and there's a real strong possibility that you're going to go there. And how would you like it if your wife did this to you? That's what I would tell him. And then I'd leave it alone. Thank you. Yeah. God bless. You're right in saying that. All right. I will be praying for you and that you have wisdom. Who do we have now, dear voice, in my head? Bob from Sacramento, what can I do for you? Father, um, I have a Protestant friend who likes to cite the passage from Romans that you talked about, mm-hmm. and uh, as a as a reason why baptism is not necessary, or ah. the other sacraments for that matter, okay. mainly baptism. Yes, and I'm struggling having uh, what what else what to say to him. Well. What to say to him? Baptism is made so uh, important uh, in other sections of the Scripture. Is this the only verse of the Scripture that's true? You know, let's look. Uh, let me let me pull one up. Um, uh, what must we do to be saved? Okay, it's in the Acts of the Apostles. What must we do to be saved? Uh, pulling it up. And the... Uh, uh, it's Acts two thirty seven. What must we do to right. be saved? Yeah, repent this, and be baptized. Yeah, yeah. Now when you hear this, they were they were cut to the heart. What should we do, brothers? Repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you can you can challenge him on well, what does it mean in the name of Jesus? means by his authority, that Jesus puts his authority behind this ritual of baptism. And you can say, well, we Catholics, we we believe that that, uh, we are bound by the sacraments, but God is not. That God can save someone if he so chooses without the sacrament. But the normal process of of giving your life to Christ involves uh, baptism in water. So, and this is the earliest days of the church, the earliest books of the church and the scriptures. So, just say, are you going to base your entire life on one verse in the scriptures? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that read the whole book. It'll do you some good. Does that help a little? Yeah, that's basically what I said. It, it didn't convince him. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't want to be convinced. You know, that's that's um, you know, the scripture talks about people are in error, and you know. Great. We're good friends with lots of people who are in error. I'm probably in error a few times a day. But it's a spirit of error that is dangerous to the believer. That that um, yeah. you got to be careful with people like that. This guy, is he knows a lot more than Paul did or Peter or even our Lord. So, all right. Hope that helps a little. Okay. Thank you, Father. God bless. Let's go to Mary from Michigan. Are you with us, Mary? What can I do for you? Yes, Father. Thank you. 
Um, I just was going to comment on your part about what you said about being an usher. And I am an usher, and I never thought of it that way. But like the person who spoke saying, uh, we're obeying the orders of our pastor. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, being asked to do it. But I always thought that was very awkward because then we're, we're sort of forcing people yes, to come out. And, exactly. And the times that, and the times that I didn't want to go, um, I had to have people walk over me because I used to think the reason we do it is because so people don't have to walk over each other. But I'm going, Cal, but for me not to go, people have to walk over me too. And I've been in Italy and I've been in um, Yugoslavia where sometimes you just go to the end of the the aisle and the priest comes down and gives it to nobody. We all get out at maybe five minutes later, but it's a wonderful way to do it. And and I'm going to bring it up. Um, I might get my hand slapped, but I, oh, I have him listen. Have him listen to to this that clip. Have him listen to that clip. Say this lunatic, this very strange priest from Chicago said this. Uh, <laughs> have him get mad at me instead of you. I I I've had all sorts of people mad at me in my life, and well, that's life. So well, I yeah, think yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I I just thanks for yeah. I mean, it, that was just awful of me to throw that in. It's like you know throwing a firecracker into the flock of geese. Uh, Kathy from where? Orange County. Kathy from Orange County. What can I do for you, Kathy? Hi, Father. There's a gospel that we've heard a couple times in the last six months, and every time I hear it, it confuses me. And Uh. if you addressed it on November 8th when it came up again, I apologize, but can you give me some clarity? It's Luke 17, 7 to 10, when Jesus is talking to his apostles about when your servant just comes in from plowing and tending the sheep in the field, and don't you want them to come take care of you instead of going and taking care of themselves? I don't understand what the point he's making. Well, the point he's making is that, that you know, for a Christian, and the word isn't servant, it's slave. Uh, the point he's making is that, that we're the slaves of God. That's the greatest compliment you can. And Moses would call himself, it was called the slave of God. Paul called himself the slave of God. Our blessed mother calls herself the slave of God. And the word is slave. Somebody who went downtown and bought one of. So the point is that, that when we feel, you know, so often we feel, you know, I'm serving on the committee at church and boy, God, I, he must be impressed with me and he owes me. No, you don't. He made you. You belong to him. You you don't have a second of time that you created yourself. You belong to God. So, you know, you don't say, God, you deserve, I need to be thanked by you or I need to be thanked by the pastor. You know, we're doing it for the Lord because we belong to him. And uh, in the ancient world, there actually were feasts. Uh, among the Romans, I know there was Feast of Fools that that uh, where the slaves uh, were waited on by the masters. It was you know a, a kind of fun April Fools thing, but uh, they didn't make too many demands of the master because tomorrow they would be waiting again. Uh, fully a fifth of the people in the ancient world were slaves, and possibly half of those in the city of Rome. So uh, it was a very common thing. And so that's what Jesus is saying that that we're not we shouldn't be slaves to one another but we are slaves to God and and we owe him he never owes us does that help a little That does thank you Well good God bless and thanks for listening Whom do we have now dear voice in my head Steve from Steve from Bozeman Montana what can I do for you Steve 
Yeah, Father, I just wanted to say how much I uh, appreciated your statement of the Trinity being a family and how and Mary's relationship that to that. And I, I thought that I learned growing up, but I, I'm not sure. Um, do we still refer to Mary as the spouse of the Holy Spirit? Yes, that's one of the titles of, of the Blessed Mother, the spouse of the Holy Spirit. I think it's been well, uh, uh, de-emphasized in our times because people, uh, I think might get you know that we live in such a a strange time people might get the wrong impression but yeah the spouse of the holy spirit yes well because i i know you know in a human way when i got married like my wife wasn't a blood relative but she might as well have been i mean yeah you know that that and i i so i i just really appreciate that comment about uh mary's uh relationship with the trinity and in the trinity yeah. and and, and so. in a sense, we have that relationship to Mary. I mean, she's the first member of the church. She was the first person to accept Christ. She was faithful to him at the foot of the cross. She was there at Pentecost. She is the first human being who was a member of the church. And so we unite ourselves to her, in a sense, in membership in the church. And, and I, you know, I stole that idea from some guy. Oh, gosh, who was his name? St. John Paul the Great. I think that's who I stole it from. But speaking of greats, Drew is coming up and all his material is fresh.